This is Coda Radio, episode 392 for December 14th, 2020. Friends and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by Cloud Guru. A Cloud Guru now includes Cloud Playgrounds, Azure AWS, or Google Sandboxes on ACG's credit card, not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining me like every single week is now Apple's first return of an M1 product customer. It is our host. Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Way to just like out me in the intro. That was <laughs> that was savage. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, I just I'm trying to process the tweets that I'm reading because it's like we talk about it on the show, you make a live purchase, we work it out, and then I'm seeing this tweet, you get the box, and you're like, maybe not even gonna open it. Tell me you at least opened it. I opened it and I played with it for a few days. And I will say, if you are in the market for a lightweight laptop and you want to run Mac OS, it's a fabulous choice. Okay, so um what happened? Oh, I have a very specific, very picky issue. Oh, really? So there is an actual problem? Because I know you were on the fence to begin with. One, my toolchain is like, I, fa- I now there's a way to get homebrew and shit working, which is fine. Yeah, if you want to use Rosetta, which totally fine. Fine. And it actually runs fine. I mean, RubyMine runs like dog shit. So does PyCharm. But that's, you know, so that's problematic for me because I basically live in the IntelliJ IDEs, whether I'm on Mac or Linux. All right. We know I'm a little picky. I mean, some have suggested it, but I mean, I don't, I don't say it. The screen's not bright enough. Hmm. I'm so used to uh, the MacBook Pro. And so there's two things. The screen's not bright enough. And living with my lemur for so long, I found out that I actually prefer a matte. Oh, okay. Like a lot. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Even, even though the lemur screen, I think, could also be a, a touch brighter. But here's the thing. I don't have like a gauntlet to throw down and say it's crap. It's, it's a good machine. Right? If you are in the market for a Mac laptop, I would probably recommend you look at the Pro because it has the slightly better screen. But um, yeah, it's fine. I'm just picky and I... And if you're going to spend the money, right, You got it's got to check the boxes. Right. And there's this whole other thing where I've been watching my iMac Pro value just plummet <laughs> like over the last three weeks. Yeah. And I'm debating like, do I just sell it, sell out now? Do I, you know, switch it for something else? There's nothing in my tool chain that really, quote, needs Mac OS right now that I can't do with like, uh, you know, what, what Mac Stadia? Is that the one? Yeah. Or now, actually, did you see Amazon? Amazon is now offering <laughs> Macs on AWS. So just, just go that route. I've developed so much muscle memory and pop with all their like window snapping and all that kind of stuff that I'm getting to the point of like the iMac Pro is a great machine. Honestly, and you're going to I know you're going to jump down my throat on this. The limited like media production I do, I am just so much more familiar with Apple's tools for that that I do I like I do struggle with OBS all the time. Oh yeah, OBS is a weird beast to begin with. You know, God bless it, love the project, but it's got a learning curve. Right, but I'm getting to the point where switching between OSs, considering I literally do the same workflows just with like slight concessions to operating system differences and key bindings. I don't know if I don't just want like some money back off of the iMac Pro and then I kind of wait for like a Thaleo 2.0 or something. Mm. Although the lemur is fast enough. Do I even need something else? Like for the last week, I've basically been working on the lemur. Yeah, that's definitely part of the math these days. The machines have gotten so good, you know, and we got people writing in that this is actually something we got a little bit 
common. People that would write in would say, hey, you know, I'm on a machine from 2013. I'm on a machine from 2015. And I've just made some modifications to make it more appealing to me. Um, and, you know, the processors are still fine enough because if your workload doesn't require crazy fast processors, there's really not been any compelling reasons to upgrade. I mean, things are incrementally better. But um, the M1 series kind of seems like maybe one of those first changes where things are significantly better, but it's still so early in the process. I thought after the show, the the, the problem you were going to have is that the MacBook Air is still an Air, and I think that's kind of what you ran into with the screen. And just because it has a new processor and it doesn't mean that it's now all of a sudden a laptop that's really what you need from a computer, you probably would be better suited with something like an ARM-based iMac Pro. Because I am guessing from your kind of workload, when you need CPU power, you really need it. And you know that's where something like an iMac Pro style machine would be a lot better for you. And stick with the lemur for uh, portability and on the go and, you know, a Linux workflow. Well, I mean, the one big thing the Apple machines have, and just to answer Fat Cat Pat, incredible name in the chat room. Yeah. Uh, I do still have the original Thelio, but it's doing a dedicated task and it has been for months. So is the microphone and onboard speakers to take those ever-present Zoom calls. <laughs> yeah, those are um, those are still really good on, on that hardware. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, by the way, new, uh, new, new live time. So hello to people at the Coder Happy Hour live time. We got started even a little early today. Started off around uh, 5 p.m. I was playing a little stadium, and then Mike joined me a little early, and we just kicked it off because we wanted to get this conversation captured. But I thought I'd have some email about robes, Mike, you know? I was really looking forward to getting mine, honestly. I, I tell you what, but nobody wrote in <laughs> about the coder robes. Nobody. Button nobody. And I just, I thought we'd get like a bunch of great robe swag ideas. So uh, I went out and I did a little looking and I put some links in the show notes. I'm curious to know what kind of style you like. Because, so you, I put the Cadillac in there. This is an L.L. Bean. This is the men's rugby robe, mm. flannel line and hooded, and uh, it starts at $99. So it's a little rich for my blood, but I could see maybe doing a, a couple special items and then, then didn't, doing something that's not so costly. There, this ranges. I, I found these styles low as $35, but I like this, you know? And so here's what I'm doing, Mike. You know, just because I want to make sure we're going to test this thing from beginning to end, uh, I'm wearing a robe tonight. Excellent. This isn't a Cadillac robe, Mike. This is a robe at the end of its life. You know, you know, like when you got one of those robes that you should have thrown it out like five years ago. My dad, he'd like he'd wear the arsehole out of the pants. Like he just like blow the the, this, the robe out. Uh, and like you knew at that point it was time for him to get, you know, new robe. And, uh, you know, you just go through them every few years. This one's near that. I still have the arse on it, but it's not going to be much longer. And I but I thought, you know, let's validate this because it's it's 530 p.m. in the Pacific Northwest. The sun's already set. Because f***ing winter. And so I'm I'm sitting here in my robe, and I here's what I did. No pants. I mean, wait, pants. <laughs> Got to make sure I get my story straight. And then no shirt, but robe, right? So I'm getting some airflow. I'm getting some comfort. But I still got my working pants on. You know what I mean? Hmm. I think with the work from home, the way it is these days in the 2020s, I, I think this could be... A great way for people to go home casual. You know, you got work casual. This is home casual. Be comfortable. And imagine if this was a really nice robe with a little hoodie. So when I had to go outside to get the Uber Eats or something, I could have a hoodie on. 
And then I could have like a little coded radio logo on there, right? It's very functional. It's also a boxing style rope. So should you get into an altercation with, I don't know, some other tech podcast hosts, we can always, you know, just throw down. Right. And I feel like I, I could like, you know, put my fist together and bounce back and forth and I'd look tough. Yeah. Anyway, so this is the kind I'm looking for. But, but this uh, this Cadillac, this L.L. Bean rugby robe, it's a hundred bucks. That seems like too much. And that's before we've put a logo on it or made a profit. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like that's not going to sell. So we got it. We got to reel it in a little bit. So I, somebody, you know, they, they need to they need to uh, get off their <laughs> asses and. <laughs> Send us a link. <laughs> have some strong feelings about this. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, getting to the feedback that we did get this week. So here's what happened. This is why running your own business is a horrible idea and nobody should do it. So I got this podcast and a big part of what we do in this podcast is, is feedback. And it's a big interaction with the show and the audience, and it's an important thing. Now, imagine the scenario for a moment, if you could. If you could imagine such a hypothetical situation. Well, one day, the emails just get real light. Like, just, we go from a bunch of emails every day to one or two emails. You know, maybe we go from a dozen emails a day to one or two emails. Maybe just one email. Well, what's going on? I get this, and I start getting this, this spam moderator report. From Google Apps. Oh, yeah. And I see in there that it's starting to withhold people's emails because we've been getting emails and they're all coming from like the Fireside contact page. And so it thinks they're spam, right? You've been through this. Yes. Yeah. All right. Time for me to put on my IT hat for a little bit. My first thought was, man, I wish I could just get Drew to fix this for me real quick. But it's the middle of the workday. <laughs> so, and, you know, we're, 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 I realize all of a sudden we're we're missing out on all these emails from the audience. And so like it becomes like this I've got to rescue these emails because in the moderator email I got from Google Apps it says in a day or so these will be auto deleted or something like that. Oh, that's nice. That's that's yeah. Yeah, we we may have lost some. How will, how would I know? How would I know, right? So it says but click here to approve the messages and review them and whatever. So I click the link and I get a Google Apps error message. 503 page can't load blah 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 or whatever it was. Oh, go figure, I think. I finally set down the time to decide to work on this, and, and Google Apps has an outage, I think, to myself. So I come back, and the next day I do it. It doesn't work again. And, of course, I'm starting to try to Google the problem, but you can imagine how horribly ineffective this is. And, and the documentation that Google has is just so verbose and unhelpful. I dig, and I dig, and I dig. And it, I discover that my Google Apps users have not been enrolled in groups. Like, all of the Google Apps features are on except for groups for some reason. Maybe they're not on by default or whatever. And in order to go approve these messages, I have to become a moderator of that group, but I cannot become a moderator of that group because my Google Apps account doesn't have groups enabled. But yet, groups is somehow moderating emails. It's Wait, it's whoa. beautiful. I know. it's 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 like Microsoft in their heyday, isn't it? It's really, it's circular. I was going to say, is there a Samba server or an Active Directory in the <laughs> yeah. here somewhere? It feels like it. So I figure out how to enable my Google Apps account to have group support. And then I go in there and I approve all these emails. And then it turns out like a ton of people were writing in about all these great keyboards. Mm. So what I've done is I've gone through and I've collected the three more just really rad keyboards. So we're going to talk to that. We're not going to read all the emails. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it. But there are three really rad keyboards that are like just like nothing you've ever seen before. So we're going to talk about those. But first, I thought this was kind of nice. Elias writes in. He says, hey, Mike and Chris, 
And I wanted to read this email because I know you and I have both, we've had a really wild 2020 and there's been times where we have even questioned why we are running a business and all of this. Um, and I gave a little insight into that last week, but there's, of course, there's a, even more going on. And so I thought this was really nice because it shows you sort of the the unseen effect of the show. He says, I wanted to say thank you to you both for all the content you've delivered over the years. I've been a listener and a supporter for a long time. So I think he's a QA member too, which is awesome. Woo! While not a developer, the subject has been a passion since I was a child. After speaking to my manager a few weeks back, I applied for a slot on a bachelor's degree in computing with a focus on software development. I had my interview this week, and thanks to all of the industry lingo and knowledge I absorbed by listening to Coda Radio for the last five to six years, I was offered the spot today. Starting college at 31 will be an interesting experience, but better late than never. Anyways, I just want to say thank you for your unknowing help in all of this. Isn't that nice? I'm going to call that a Coda Radio success story. Somehow, talking about you buying MacBooks has helped people. (laughs) I I don't know. I'm almost sure that's not the part that helped, but (laughs) I see what you did there. Like I got to tell you, you're you're just all fired up from the robes. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I got a lot of comfort right now. It it makes me more effective, I got to say. Plus... I mean, who doesn't like a little ventilation on the bod? I was going to say, I do own, I own one robe. Yeah. It is a red smoking jacket. Oh. Yes, the full, the full Hugh Hefner. My opinion is you can have probably too many tech t-shirts, you know, swag t-shirts and whatnot. Yeah. But you've always got room for like one or two robes. I mean, I live in an RV and I'm going to have two robes because I, I got this. Well, I'll probably, what I'll probably do is I'll get rid of this one. This is my test robe, you know. My minimum viable robe. I'll get rid of this, and I'll I'll upgrade here at the studio with the coda robe, and I might just wear it while I'm doing the show. It probably has good sound absorbing properties. It's a prototype robe, effectively. Yeah, yeah, minimum viable robe. Hey, you did it in InDesign, right? That's that's all it is. A little click through demo. <laughs> I think actually my son picked it out, <laughs> like when he was really really young. So it's it's getting pretty old now because he's getting way too old. So let's talk about some of these keyboards. Dom wrote in, he said, I want to tell you about a game changer keyboard. I think it's called the Ergodox. It gives you something to do for your thumbs. It has a relaxing position for your shoulders. It has even some great uh, keys for Emacs users. <laughs> he says my Emacs pinky. <laughs> Emacs users. It's programmable, mechanical, and it has another feature that I'll mention here in a moment. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll wait because that's the raddest part. But you got to go take a look at this. I'll have a link to all of these in the in the show notes. The Ergodox EZ looks like a keyboard from the Tron movie. It's although it's not RGB. It's just it's a it's a really nice looking split design uh, with a lot of options. Uh, it's a it's a cool keyboard. See, okay, you don't like it. I do not like it. The split Ergo thing makes a big difference for the RSI. Does it really? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, then I might have to try it. Yeah, that's that's why I started doing the split keyboard thing. Yeah, because my hands, I'm using the Apple uh, not-so-magic keyboard again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And uh, I f- feel like my hands are turning into the misshapen claw of someone with arth- arthritis. So <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it really makes a big difference. I've got a couple of split keyboards that I like. In fact, there's been a few that have been sent into the show, too. One that I feel negligent for not mentioning because it's really kind of up the alley of our audience is the Keyboardio. The Model 1, which we had a couple of people write in, I have it here in the studio um, more as a display piece. 
it's one of these keyboards that took a while to be developed because it was done out in the open. Wait, wait, hang on. Do you have a trophy keyboard? Yeah, I have a display keyboard. That's amazing. <laughs> Keep going, sorry. It's it's built into wood, beautiful wood, and it's got, if I recall, an Arduino inside of it. And um, they are working on the Model 2 right now, the replacement. They also have, you should check this one out, a tiny little keyboard, a tiny little mechanical keyboard called the Arteris, I think. These are like keyboards you've never seen before unless you've specifically gone looking for these keyboards. They're awesome. And the uh, the Keyboardio is, it's it's really different. It has a different layout than a standard keyboard. But the idea is it's extremely versatile and programmable. And if that's something that you would enjoy, it's not really something I enjoy. That's why it's a display piece. It is it is an awesome keyboard for that. Maybe I should sell mine that I have in the studio, but I just love it. I have it. It's right there. I can see it right where I'm sitting. So I should confess on the keyboard thing. Yeah. I did almost buy that programmable DOS keyboard. Yeah. There you go. But I then realized that I would spend so much time programming my keyboard that I wouldn't actually program the programs that people pay me to program. That's the thing, is I just have to stop playing with it at a certain time. All right, so this is the thing I was going to mention earlier. Um, Julian wrote in to tell me about this. He says, to add to your pile of keyboard feedback, I was a happy user of the Unicomp Model M, which is that really big IBM-inspired one. Oh, yeah. But like yourself there, Mike, he said, after typing on it repetitively for hours, my fingers really started to hurt. It eventually became clear to me that I was going to have to switch to something else to avoid RSI, which is like the same scenario I found myself in. Yeah. So he does the research that a lot of us have done, and he said he came to understand that I want to get a keyboard, regardless of which one I get, that supports the QMK firmware, which is an open source project to make and flash custom firmware to a wide variety of keyboards. The level of customization possible is mind-bending. Multiple layers, different key codes, all kinds of stuff. He said, I did eventually settle for an ortholinear 40% keyboard. It does have arrow keys, uh, and it's called the Nui Mini, and I absolutely love it. It's been very good with his RSI, he says. So this this QMK firmware is what I kind of learned about in all of this feedback once I managed to salvage them all from the Google spam filter. <laughs> and this QMK software project's goal is to develop a completely customizable, powerful, and in Oh, they say enjoyable. I thought they were going to say embeddable. Enjoyable firmware experience for any project, keyboard or otherwise. Uh, and it's, God, this kind of thing is awesome. When you go there, they they show you the types of keyboards they support. Of course, there's an open keyboard firmware project. I love it. God damn it, people. <laughs> I know. It's so ridiculous. I, I just, I guess I didn't even appreciate how deep this rabbit hole goes because I'm just now getting to this layer. <laughs> Ironically, I am in the market for a keyboard, but I'm not sure that I can handle like the, we stole this from the 1980s Tron movie. And so the 40% thing I have to say, though, is starting to intrigue me because space is always a premium on my desk because I'm a slob. I like to have diagrams up. Yeah. Um, because these stupid at some point i'm actually gonna do that episode i keep threatening to do about embedded programming and why it's a pain in the ass but needless to say i have to have a lot of documentation up like physical documentation i mean not not like a tab i'm laughing because i've got right here some documentation physical documentation i have like an ipad with like the other documentation and i've like just like papers and papers and this stupid keyboard this magic keyboard <laughs> is like so big yeah right so i am in the market but 
what do I get other than space saving for 40%? The question is, do you really need like the number pad? No, I hate number pads. I, yeah. yeah, and all that stuff. That's what you're, you're kind of just trading that. Okay. And, you know, truthfully, I really haven't missed it. I, I thought, you know, because back in my IT days, I'd be busting at IP addresses all day on that number pad. And I thought, well, I need it. Of course I need a number pad. But you really don't. Yeah. If you look at your keyboard and you look where, from control button to control button, that's all you really need. And then if they can work the arrow keys in the home and insert and end and page up and page down in a way that works for me, I'm set. Although if you're really hardcore and you have like the keyboard I have currently, the code keyboard, you can uh, program a layer to allow Vim shortcuts to be the arrow keys. Yeah, that is rad. That <laughs> I do love that stuff. There is a time and place for it, to be honest with you. And so this was going to be my ask to the audience is, okay, so we've explored this keyboard stuff, just so we don't go on and on forever about it. What are other kind of, well, because we could No chance of avoiding that. <laughs> no, yeah. But what are other kind of modifications maybe that aren't as obvious? Like I recently talked about monitor and keyboard, but what are other modifications to our workspaces that are maybe not as obvious that have helped you work better from home or helped you work better at your office because I've recently just invested a little bit in improving my home quote unquote as it is because it's the RV but I needed a a really kind of breakdown collapsible setup that didn't take forever to set up or didn't take forever to break down and I've kind of gotten there and I'm really loving it but I want to just refine it a little bit and I, before I talk about it. And so I'm, I'd love to get people's tips on what they've done to make their workspace even better and more awesome. Because I feel like if we can make that, like interacting with the computer with a better keyboard makes a difference. It's a physical object that you're touching all day long. And when it's something that, I mean, maybe delights you is a little much, but something that at least sparks some level of joy when you touch it, I think it's actually worth investing in. I knew you were going to Marie Kondo me. I, I was waiting for it. <laughs> I'm so happy you didn't try to do the accent, though, because that would have been problematic. <laughs> I was trying not to go so cliche, but I... I can give you one suggestion on this, because it is literally the problem I was whining about on the pre-show. Mm. The big thing that keeps me on the iMac Pro when I'm at my, like, quote-unquote workstation is somebody wants to pop into a Google Meet. I don't know why I keep saying Zoom. I do Google Meets more often. And I can just do that with reasonable uh, you know, confidence and not have to worry about it and like hook up the mic or do crazy Bluetooth. Uh, I know what you that mean. never seems to work. Yeah. Where on the Thaleo, because like the two workstations like side by side, it's like, honestly, it's easier for me to take those calls on an iPad. Yeah. Like, is there a monitor that I could give someone money for that is Matt? And is effectively like an iMac monitor, right? With the built-in decent cameras and speakers. I'm not, you know, it doesn't need to be as good, but just something if I have to say, hey, I didn't get that document or, you know, just a quick Slack call, quick Google Meet, that would make my life tremendously easier. And honestly, it would make selling the iMac Pro a no-brainer. I think the part of what contributes to the iMac Pro always working when you jump on a video call, because I've experienced this myself, is that state doesn't change. It's like always the default speakers and the default microphone mm -hmm. and audio devices are not getting added and removed or changed as default or not from it. And so that steady state of the audio output and input setting is what makes it work all the time. And I, and so the way you would get it working anything else is to replicate that level of stability on what audio interface is being used. And if you're using a headset or if you're using Bluetooth or not, and just always use one setup. And that's because that's what I did is I got these kind of silly looking Corsair gaming headphones 
And they are kind of big, and so it's not great for video calls, so I don't always use them. But they're RF. They're not Bluetooth. Radio. And here's what's really good about them. They connect back to a USB dongle that's a sound card that's always connected because the dongle's always in. It's always in. So the sound, the in and out is always there. I might not have the headphones on. I might not even have them near me. But that sound device is always my default in and out sound device, always. And I've gone into Pulse Audio and I've disabled everything else. You can just go in there and into the configuration yeah. and disable them. And it works every time. And then I just turn the headphones on and they connect over RF and they're good to go. That actually sounds like a very viable solution to my problem. We should link that in the show notes. Yeah, I will try to do that. Yeah. So if you have tips like that stuff to just make it work for you all the time, coder.show slash contact, let us know. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get a $100 60-day credit towards your new account and you support the show. Linode is our cloud hosting provider. And recently... I needed to set up a VPN beast. And you see, Linode has data centers in 11 locations around the world. And I wanted something for my VPN that was spread out because the client I was connecting from can connect to three endpoints at a time. And of course, if you spread it out, better reliability, better performance. Linode made all of this possible because unlike entry-level service providers, they don't they don't block the back-end stuff. They let me re-image the server just the way I needed so I could run this crazy proprietary quote-unquote OS. It was really just something Linux-based, but you know how these vendors work. And it works because Linode is dedicated to offering the best virtualized cloud computing. If it runs on Linux, you can run it on Linode. And what I love about them and what gives me confidence to run my business infrastructure on them is that they're an independent company. And they have been. They've started in 2003 as one of the first companies in cloud computing three years before AWS because they had a passion for this field. They saw what technology back then, it was user mode Linux. They saw what it could do and they saw how they could build a product around that. And now, of course, they've they've completely, totally modernized their infrastructure with blazing fast KVM host systems, 40 gigabit connections to the hypervisors, native SSDs, a brilliant interface with complete customizability and things like object storage, load balancers, and stack scripts that get you up and going in seconds, I think you're going to be really impressed. But if you go to linode.com slash coder, you get that $100 credit. You can really cook with gas. You can see what I was doing. I was setting up these dedicated CPU rigs to try stuff out, and that's now where we do our encoding. That's where our NextCloud instances work that syncs the files between us and our editors. And, of course, there's all kinds of other things we use up there for things like clips. An object storage is pretty powerful. There's so much you can do from hosting a website to running your infrastructure. Try it out. Linode.com slash coder and see what I can do. Thanks to everybody who supports our sponsor too, because that's what's making this, this show free. You know, between sponsors like Linode and our QA team, it's possible for independent media to release these shows for free. So thank you to Linode and thank you to everybody who goes to Linode.com slash coder. Now, um, we didn't really have a chance to try out Qt 6 before the show. Because they are hiding it somehow on their website. It seems like like I saw a place I could go to kind of vaguely download Qt if I gave them all my information. But it kind of looked like it was version 5, so I didn't want to do it. But there is a new Qt out, and it... It looks like they've re-architected around Vulkan. They've leveraged a more modern version of C++. They're using the next generation of QML in there. I mean, it it looks potentially really good, and you spotted Qt for Python 6 as well. 
which I'm sure has you very interested. Have you looked into that at all? Much like you, I could not find the download link. Okay. <laughs> so I did want to. That was part of my plan for today. Um, the other big thing is they're using metal on the Apple stuff, which is kind of a big deal. Um, this looks like a solid release. Long-time listeners know that I have a tempestuous relationship at best with the cute people. I wasn't going to say anything. They're kind of like a, uh, you know, an old lover who you're not getting along with anymore because their pricing model is listen to the back catalog. I don't need to jump into this again. Um, they have somewhat changed it. And at this point, I have to say, I think I'm going to, you know, send them a text and be like, hey, how you doing? Get the hell out of here. Because it crosses enough pain points where we're doing all kinds of kind of custom monkey patch solutions to like bring things together. That one, I'm pretty sure I can avoid breaking the uh, the GPL anyway. And two, even if I can't, or if I want to do something more embedded, there's a lot here. Mm. And the Python stuff in particular, since somehow, some way, I got convinced to become a Python shop. That's a story. That's a story we should tell. Okay, we can tell it right now. I accidentally got in a bunch of Python work, and I <laughs> hired a couple guys who were like... You just sort of fell into it. Basically. It, <laughs> Actually, listeners, they're all the Python clients are listeners of the show. And uh, I hired some guys originally for one guy was like a TypeScript guy, and another guy was like a was willing to learn Ruby, but he was doing C sharp. And it turns out on the weekends, like their toy of choice was Python. So we got to the point of, well, almost like 70 something percent of the consulting work is Python now. Why don't we just keep doing things in Python? Hmm. Now, I had to be dragged a little bit because I just have, like, so much experience in Ruby that it's kind of like, ugh, you know. Starting over again. Yeah. Although, honestly, it took, like, a week, and I was like, okay, this is great, and people can't mess with my indentations, which I did not know how grumpy I was about people indenting code in ways that I don't prefer until I, re until I had a language that forbade that. So, for those who don't know, Python has a significant white space, right? You can't. The indentation matters, like for the compiler or the interpreter. There's a few other things here too. Uh, TensorFlow, doing a large TensorFlow project in the new year. That's Python, right? Um, anything you want to do for in-house tooling on a Linux de Linux desktop, right? My iMac Pro aside, we are System76, not to be confused with System75, which doesn't exist as far as I know. <laughs> That'd be a great knockoff brand. My great, I'd be awful, but you know. Just like, just like making Ubuntu touch phones, right? Just like, <laughs> well, I have a corporation to register. Um, so, you know, a lot of our tooling does have to go over to to be Linux available if it can't be web. And what, what does that mean? Python, right? But GTK is kind of tough to work with. Qt mm. would solve that problem. More and more our clients are looking for like weird, like I want to get a Raspberry Pi and hook a screen to it and huzzah, we're building our own little custom software on our own little, I won't say jerry-rigged, but kind of like, uh, you know, well, I guess I will say like kind of just like slap together device. With a little dashboard running on a LCD screen, kind of a thing. Exactly right, and they're all Linux based. And again, Qt would be great there. <laughs> and what well, is Qt good? For, or, or if you want to do it, you could do it natively in Python. That's what all the support is in. Again, if we want to go the Qt route, Python. So it's it's getting to the point where 
and this is going to be a curmudgeon old man thing. I have switched languages and platforms so many times in my life now. I would like a year or two where I just have like one language that is not JavaScript. Yes. That can do everything. I hear you. Reasonably well and is well supported, right? Do you think that's age? Because I've been feeling that way too. It's age and like having other shit going on and being busy. Yeah. You know, it's like... I was a little grumpier than it maybe should have been to someone who was uh, trying to tell me about this new, like, zero market share language. And I'm just like, yeah, but I can do all of that in Python and Ruby and C++. And, all right, maybe not Objective-C, but <laughs> it's you, time to let Objective-C... Yeah, uh, what? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, finish that sentence? No, 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 sorry, no, 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 mind. We're good. no damn, come on now, come on. Come <laughs> it on. might be time to let Objective-C go. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, oh, oh my God. I gotta, oh, wow. Objective-C doesn't want me to call her anymore. Objective-C <laughs> doesn't want me to text her. 2020, I, I mean, there's been a lot that's happened, but this might be one of the biggest. Yeah, it's time to let it go. And honestly, Python is, the problems I have with Python are more, there's 5 billion ways for me to do things. And basically, oh my God, this is going to sound like a commercial, but basically the language is I think incredibly intuitive in how things work. My only kind of pet peeve is I wish there was a little more standardization and API design on a lot of the packages, but you know, I used to code in objective C and Ruby and yeah, so can't really complain too much there. How much Python on the server action do you think you might potentially see? I'm doing a ton, a ton, ton, like the majority of the Python we're writing is server side. Yeah, that's the other appealing thing about Python, huh? Yeah, we're actually taking a look at Fast API for a project coming up, which uh, I think Wes had recommended about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that's uh, right now we're doing a lot of Flask. God damn it, I'm a Python guy now. <laughs> Man, this got weird, you know, because it's just that's that's really something, quite the journey. Um, and I could see maybe why it makes the M1 a little less convincing too, because it's like this isn't this isn't really hitting that. I mean, you absolutely could do it, right? You absolutely could, but it's it's just not really the the investment that's going to further that in particular. Well, and the other thing I should say is all the end devices, with like the exception of I think we have one project that has an Android app right now, but that Android app is actually a uh, Ionic Angular app, are targeting Linux machines of some variety, whether they be servers um, running the one true server OS, SUSE. Oh, <laughs> right. He didn't think I'd forget. And <laughs> the world's been so focused on CentOS this last week. I it's just I kind of had forgot. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they're like basically Raspberry Pis were for some of our more frugal clients, weird things they ordered from China. Weird ARM devices that are like another ARM device, but not quite. <laughs> there is documentation. It's in Mandarin. <laughs> so, and it runs their image of Linux, and that's it. And Whatever weird bastard version of Ubuntu this is. Yeah, that is that is a weird thing that we're seeing. And it's, it just really hasn't sorted itself out. And it's not like, you can't just say, oh, well, ARM's new, because it's it's been around since the 90s, so it's not new. Especially on these types of devices, ARM is not not new. The Raspberry Pi, though, has gotten what is close to as standard, if you'll allow the loose use of the term, just because it has so many deployments and it has such a large community around it that it, it it is almost the most sure bet, even though I wouldn't necessarily say it's production grade, even though I run several of them as servers at home. No, I, I would. 
I'm using them for clients all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's kind of impressive, right? Because I've been running it for about a year and a half, almost two years. And I've put them through hell, you know, really hot, like 100 degree, 105 degree ambient temperatures, <laughs> 108. I think I even got up to 109. Did you get that Elon Musk flamethrower and we're just like, all right. Yeah. Uh, well, so I have this area in the RV that's inside a booth seat. So it's sealed um, up. And then I went down to Texas for the summer <laughs> and it just gets to a point where you can't really cool it. 2020 was wild. It was just a wild year. A lot's, a lot's gone on. And do you want to look back at some of it? We could save it too. But I mean, does anybody want to look back at 2020? I hope that 2020 is like a forest fire in a sense where everything kind of burns to the ground. In fact, some of it's still burning. And then it grows back and it grows back differently. But like you look at 2020, it's not what I think going into it at this point of the year, either one of you thought it, either one of us thought it was going to be. Um, I, wa- I, was, I was an employee at this point in time. I think I was just about to find out about the uh, Cloud Guru acquisition of Linux Academy, or maybe I, maybe we just had. You had a year full of travel, so we were like, don't think the show is going to be doable. You're going to be flying constantly. That changed. It's, it's wild. <laughs> I, had, I have had family members that have lost this. I mean, it's just been crazy. But so there have been a few wins. I think in a weird way, I wanted to start with VS Code and GitHub. Because it's been a really strong year for this is the year of VS Code. It's every everybody's using VS Code now. It's, it feels like, um, I you know, quote unquote everybody. Uh, but also, GitHub didn't manage to screw it up for another year post Microsoft acquisition, right? They 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 avoided the merger death so far, and it even took them a minute. But they took a strong stance with YouTube DL that which I was super surprised about. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good sign, I think. I, I it doesn't mean. Don't stay on alert, but I think as far as a software story goes, the GitHub VS Code kind of Microsoft story, Microsoft too, right, is still one of the more interesting ones. This has been for a couple of years running now, I think. It's going to be interesting. Is VS Code going to be like TextMate where it owns, although VS Code is cross-platform too, so but it like owns the market for a while and then something else comes up? Maybe. I sort of think it's going to choke out uh, really any editors that want to come out. So. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I just recently reset it up on a new laptop that I got. And, um, you know, you search for Linux and there's like themes in there to integrate it better with the look of your desktop. It looks like it's a local native text editor now. There's a Pop! OS theme that looks really good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, I you know, I installed SFTP support so I can just open up files on my remote home server and look at it right there in VS Code. And, of course... I've got Docker Compose support in there, so it's showing me if I make a mistake with YAML because it's YAML. I mean, it renders fonts better than IntelliJ on Pop. <laughs> Just saying. It's been an interesting year for them. Um, I think also while we're talking about Microsoft, it's worth talking about Apple. They clearly had a knock-it-out-of-the-park release with the M1, but I think in general for Apple, they've they've really been kind of impressive this year they've kind of uh, won i think it was the wall street journal so they've been recession proof in a sense uh they're crushing it in money but they're also the iphone really solid iphone this year the apple watch is probably the best apple watch they've ever done i homepod mini is a great product and um you know of course the m1 so it feels like apple had a super strong year too they're not really slowing down like you might have thought a couple of years ago they were gonna do yeah i think they made the course correction for their pro users and just have i mean they're just dunking on everybody else right now and they are they're playing a clever 
a clever cat and mouse game with federal regulators. Uh, the FTC just announced um, that they're demanding how a bunch of tech companies handle privacy, and I don't think Apple was in there. Yep. And then also with regulators, they were they were preemptive with folks that what was it make less than a million dollars on the app store? Is that was, was that yeah what the, the new app store pricing million bucks? Yeah. I mean that was that was clever. That they're playing a game there where they're getting ahead of some of this stuff, so they're they're staying fairly nimble. I've been accused a lot on the show as being really negative towards Apple, but I have to give it to them where they've where they've had a solid win there. But now on the other side, I think also kind of what I was talking about earlier about refining my work from home setup. So what I have now is pretty close to what I would consider one of my best workspaces ever at home. And that wasn't easy in an RV. It's like I really like sitting there and using it again. You know, that feeling when you're like, oh, God, this is so great. Um, and part of what has enabled that was my return to the Plasma desktop. It's truly a power user's desktop. If you're particular about size of windows, where they open, uh, how they handle multiple virtual desktops and monitors, and all those little things, like how big a panel is, where that panel is, how the task manager behaves. If you want to like refine every little thing about your desktop experience, Plasma is that. And I can say now, having used it for several years, and I just took some time off and spent a lot of time on Pop! OS and, and Gnome Shell and really liked it. But coming back to Plasma, it was like coming back to my own place after visiting my parents' house. It was like, oh, yeah, I really, I, I really like this place. I've really decked it out the way I like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I feel on Pop, except when Gnome crashes. Well, and I feel like Plasma has a better architecture in that sense. Yes, it does. They've technically, they're a little sounder. And I think, you know, Qt's pretty great. Plasma is a lot of like, it's like if you prefer driving a standard over an automatic, you know what I'm talking about here. I do. It's like you just get a little more control. You, you just have, you're a little directly more in control of what your desktop experience is, but it takes a little bit more work. Uh, and the project has just killed it release after release after release this year. They've killed it. Uh, they've really done a great job. I've been running uh, Neon and Fedora and Arch where I'm running on really cutting edge Plasma releases and it just incrementally gets better. It doesn't screw up my custom settings. It's a desktop that respects the intelligence of their user. And it doesn't try to dumb shit down. And the thing is, is that that manifests in like just how even the freaking screenshot tool works. Or how the clipboard manager works. Because of course it has a built-in clipboard manager. Or how the notification systems work. Or like the networking applet. It's all, it just, it has respect for the intelligence of the operator. And it takes advantage of the fact that I'm sitting on a super powerful workstation. Uh, so Plasma Desktop, you get one of my best of 2020 this year. Just thank you guys for solid project this year. And if you're looking to change it up and you want to give it a go, you have my recommendation. You can go with really curated experiences like you'll get with Sousa or Manjaro. <laughs> they can be good places to start. Or you can get a really vanilla experience and build it up from there with something like Arch or Fedora, which is what I have now started doing. I don't know if I'd recommend starting there. Uh, Kubuntu is also another good starting point as well. <sighs> Thank you for letting me have that. I appreciate it because I know it's a little ridiculous, but I felt like I needed to get off my chest. You mentioned Sousa, so, you know, you, you tick the box. <laughs> you should give it to Sousa. <laughs> of course, we have to mention the new religion spreading around the development world. And that is, of course, the good news of Rust. All hail Rust. Once you let Rust into your heart, 
everything changes. Rust is love. Yeah. I don't think we need to say more about it because we have dozens of hours of saying a lot about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just obvious. Rust had an, had an amazing year. Yeah. What do you think about mentioning the work from home slash what you and I used to call remote working? Remember when it used to be called remote work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what do you think of that? Because you and I have covered that extensively throughout the run of the show. We talked about it in our quarterly report. But now it's it's essentially been, I think, mostly a positive. If you look at 2020, it's been positive for workers in the tech sector, at least. I mean, it did push IT departments really hard, and it required new applications and and solutions to be built really fast. Isn't that nice? It is, though, in a way. No, I I, I think it is nice. Although I heard from a listener who said, yeah, except for we put off an infrastructure upgrade project until next year now. So we're really going to be deep in the technical debt for another year. But I'm sure a lot of places had to do that. But work from home is kind of like the new normal now. If for a certain type of worker, that's probably a lot of people in our audience. It seems like some form of it will probably stick around. I think so. I could see like a work from home a few days a week, work from home whenever you don't feel well, work from home around the holidays. And then some places could even just you determine when you work from home. Like Red Hat does this a little bit already. Yeah. You, you know, you have a spot if you want to come in and work at the office. Otherwise, you choose to work from home for some positions. Yeah, I don't see a compelling reason to want to go back. I mean, we've been, you and I have both been doing it for a long time, though. Yeah, it is definitely, I mean, there is that, there is that lower bandwidth communication aspect of it. There's, there's, there is no doubt in my mind that if all of the people that we work with were operating out of the building that I am in right now, if all of us here at JB were working out of here, we'd be doing next level stuff. we, We would be at a whole nother level than we are. I guess that's fair. Assuming the money was there to pay for it, right? Right, but that's the big thing for small guys like us. Yeah. Do you want a landlord breathing down your throat if you have a bad month? Right, and the, and the truth of the matter is um, the trade-off is that we can work with people that you're in Florida, I'm in Seattle. You know, we can we can work together. We can sit here on an, in an evening and, and have this conversation. So it's the good clearly outweighs the bad of it. But I think kind of along with all of that is what's kind of nice to see kind of maybe get pulled back a little bit is – the travel for a meeting kind of stuff yeah. that really can now just be taken care of in a video call? I have mixed feelings on this. Same. For like status meetings on long-term projects, I think it's crazy that I used to like fly across the country to do a status meeting and fly back, right? To me, that's nuts. But I think I'd be pretty resistant to doing that going forward unless there's like hardware or integration stuff that has to be done. By the way, I think that's a real sign that something shifted when you look back at the what used to be considered normal and go... I can't believe I used to do that. I used to have, I, I I think I still technically do, but I'm not renewing a lounge membership because mm-hmm. you know I was flying at least once a month, if not twice, three times a month, and I haven't flown since the pandemic Neither started. I. I've been home, right? <laughs> yeah, and I just like it seems it was like of course I'm not renewing that. That's ridiculous. Well, the only thing I will say though is I think the death of trade shows is actually bad. Well, the networking factor is way worse this year. Networking factor is worse. You know, GitHub Universe just happened. It's it's weird because like for the show is I do enjoy when they all those tech companies kind of just stream their sessions so we can have the content and I don't have to like deal with yes. that crap. Yes. But for my own work, most of the value of going to a show and GitHub Universe is a bad example, but any show, right, is not the actual sessions. Right. The sh- sessions are generally a waste of time. 
with everything online, you just lose all of that. Yeah. All of that, like meeting up at the pub or bumping into each other for coffee or right, whatever. Which for me is a huge factor because like scale every year, I, I'm going out to lunch, I'm going out to dinner with the audience, you know, listeners of this show. We've we have packed a porch of or a, I guess a, a deck of a restaurant during lunch. One of the scales a couple of years ago, it was it was an opportunity for me to meet the audience, and that's just, that, that's been gone. But additionally, just talking to you from like a a business standpoint, when everything's online, it's available to everybody, and there's really there's 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 no there's nothing exclusive about it. Like uh, for me to cover an event, I have to travel there. And I have to like talk to people and it's like, it's journalism in a sense, because I'm interviewing people. I'm walking around with, if people probably 98% of the audience has never seen me, I look like a moron. I've got these huge studio headphones on. I've got a zoom recorder. I've got a, I've got a a Sennheiser microphone with a XLR cable. That's way too long because I never can find the right cable. And I'm walking around conferences like this and God bless Wes and others who put up with me while I do this. But it's it's like a form of journalism in a sense. And that's kind of gone um, now because I can't really do that. I, I've tried a little bit like having chats and stuff. But yeah. the reality is it's just the it's just has not been the same. So that's from a business standpoint. I've kind of missed that because I felt like I used to be able to go get something kind of unique and exclusive for my shows that, you know, I went and I, I like did the hard work for. And that's gone. It's really not been the same. And that's kind of been a bummer from like a business standpoint and adding something dynamic and new to the shows. Now, do you think they'll come back? Yeah, I think so. I think because so many people are missing that thing about them. Uh, Also, I think humans, you and I, I think maybe are not as social as the average bear because like a lot of people at the companies that I've participated at either through employment or through contracts, it seems like the majority of the staff miss being around each other and they mm-hmm. have like all of these really kind of ludicrous and massively time-wasting meetings where they're just like come and hang out and chat or let's have breakfast together or we're gonna have a special talker tell us about something completely unrelated to work because it's like we're hanging out together and they're desperately trying to come up with ways to fill time and i've seen this from multiple places and it seems ludicrous to me because my god why would i want to spend any additional time in a zoom call that i don't have to but people seem to crave these things and so i have to remind myself that there's also that driving factor out there that perhaps it's not the call that you and i feel but there are many who do feel that call and i actually wouldn't be surprised if there isn't a bit of a resurgence perhaps they're kind of they kind of come back with some gusto. I think some people that tried it out virtually this year and are going to try it out virtually in 2021 will then launch a physical conference. So I actually think we're going to see a surge a little bit. But I bet you more and more they're live streamed as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We'll see. I do not like Zoom meetings, but they're like the Home Assistant conference was this weekend, uh, and I actually really enjoyed it. It was not particularly flashy, but they did a good job. They, they put an effort into trying to do a good presentation and do things a little bit differently. And they used a platform designed to be an online conference where you had a lobby, a reception area, then you had the speaking rooms and different chat rooms for each. And I was actually able to get in touch with a speaker. And, you know, I kind of I got just a hint of that original experience for a brief moment. Uh, so it is possible out there. 
but uh, it has been overall just a huge shift. The virtual conferences, the virtual meetings, the virtual family get-togethers. We did two different get-togethers on Thanksgiving over Zoom, of course. I absolutely hate it. I thought it'd be better if the normals knew about video conferencing, but now I hate it. Yeah, I, I hate it. I I really don't think there's any redeeming qualities to the Zoom stuff. Oh, I go, I go back to the phone in a heartbeat. I just yep. Oh, and, and and nobody can get this their audio any good. And as somebody who does production for a living, I just the bad audio just drives me crazy. And then the camera angles and all of it, the whole thing is just absolutely horrendous. But big win for for Zoom and all of them, I suppose. And of course now Slack owned by freaking Salesforce, which is weird. Yeah. All right, 2020, knock it off. Uh, thank you to the QA team, CoderQA at CoderQA.co. I did wrap up the Black Friday sale, but you can still support the show. You get a limited ad feed, and you get our Coderly report, and uh, you get the warm fuzzies of making this show possible. Also, go find our sponsor, Cloud Guru, on social media, would you? They're at slash a cloud guru on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Really, pretty much all of the places where people have a presence, just slash a cloud guru, and you can find them there. Mr. Dominic, is there anything we should mention or plug this week before we get out of here? Uh, no, just keep an eye out for that quarter quarterly, and because uh, I think you and I should discuss when we want to record that, because it's the end of the quarter. And we're going to keep this live time. I think this worked pretty well. It worked well. So join us. The new live time, see if I can do this time math. It's Mondays. It's at 5 p.m. Pacific. 8 p.m. Eastern, and the show kicks off somewhere in there, usually about 5, 38, 30 p.m., whatever it's going to be. Get a little hangout time in, maybe do a little video games, chat with y'all, and then we're going to do a show. And it's uh, it's a Monday happy hour. It's time to kick back and enjoy your evening with uh, Mike and Chris, and we'd love to have you there. Preferably in a bathrobe. Yes. Yes. Actually, next week, let's all, I'll, I'll keep, we'll keep our bathrobes. Just set it aside, get it ready so you don't forget. <laughs> Join the live stream in your bathroom. We'll all do a little bit of testing, and then we can do feedback in the chat room and, and make sure we get a, a high-quality design. This robe thing's going, going places, I tell you what. Yeah, I feel like you're very serious about the robe thing. <laughs> He's at Dumanuko on Twitter. His company is at The Mad Botter Inc. I'm Chris Lass on Twitter, and the podcast network is at Jupiter Signal. And yes, there's even one more, the show, at Coda Radio Show. Links to what we talked about today are at coder.show slash 392. My God, we're almost to 400. And uh, from there, you can get our contact form, which feedback's a huge part of the show. Our RSS feeds, all of it at coder.show. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. And we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>